Bienvenidos to Merendeando, part of Radio Aluna Theater. Today we have a really special guest. After two years of not doing live podcasts, we have with us the one and only Santiago Guzmán. <laughs> Santiago, you just finished your show at the Rutas Festival. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling very, very happy. I was not expecting the 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 run. Well, I mean, I was actually not expecting a tour of the show at all to begin with. I did the show back in 2021. Uh, that was when when the first like fully realized production of the show happened in back in St. John's in Newfoundland, Labrador. And then when the show ended, we were supposed to do a school tour for the show. We were supposed to do that in the winter of 2022, but with Omicron, mm -hmm. we couldn't do the tour. And then what we ended up doing was that we did a film version of the show. And then I was approached first by uh, pr the Prismatic Arts Festival in Halifax uh, by Raisa Lalani, the artistic director, and asked me, if I would bring the show to Halifax. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then like shortly after, I think Bea uh, emailed me and said, hey, can we present uh, Altar at Rutas? I was like, what? You're like full circle. I was like, wow, <laughs> I mean, there is some tea, you listeners. <laughs> I wrote this play and, and Altar was the very first play that I have ever written. And I wrote this play in 2019 because I saw a submission call for the 2019 Caminos Festival. I remember I was in the UK. Mm -hmm. I was uh, finishing my, my BFA in theater and acting. And I was out there and then I said, this is why I have to write this play because I want to be in the Caminos Festival. Spoiler alert, I did not get into the festival, uh, which I actually, I feel like my mom always says, las cosas pasan por y para algo. So, and, and that means things happen for and because there's a reason. And at the time I was like, you know, like I was sad, but I was like, okay, it's fine. Now, l shortly after we did a, a workshop production of the show in, in 2019 with my theater company, Todos Productions in, in Newfoundland. And then after that uh, workshop production, the Resource Center for the Arts Theater Company picked it up for a main stage production. So anyway, I know I'm going like all over the place, but all of this to say was that, you know, I I was rejected to be a part of Caminos. Then I, I did a, a workshop production and then I got like a professional production of the show. And because of that professional production, I am here, you know, yeah. at Rutas, which as you said, it was like a really full circle moment. And, and it feels so special because this is where I wanted to be. And it feels so special to me, to, you know, by the fact that Bea Pisano, who I read from on my like books, mm -hmm. you know, who, who I, I, I have admired for years, like even having her say my name feels <laughs> surreal. Aww. When she did the introduction on opening night here in Toronto and she started talking about me, I was crying. I was like, oh, my Aww. God, because You know, those are the things that, that you dream of. Yes. And then, you know, when she talked about my leadership in the arts and the work that I am doing and how excited she was to see the piece happen here in Toronto was, like, super special. Also, I think it's great that you come now because, like, I consider you a really good friend. And I know there's a lot of people who we wanted to go support you, not, other, not only as, like, a, a fellow artist, but, like, as, as a person of our community here. You came at the time you needed to be here. Since you developed this piece, it was like a 20-minute piece, and now it's a, it's a full show. How has been that process of developing until now? 
That is such a great question. And I think that, you know, in the beginning, the play, as I said, like this was the first play that I that I wrote. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, to this day, I still find myself <laughs> looking at my computer thinking, what the hell am I doing? Back then, I really had no clue as to like, how do you even write a play? I had been performing in a lot of plays prior to becoming a playwright. But I never actually sat down as a writer and to think about, okay, this is the story. These are the characters. These are their intentions and objectives and blah, 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 blah. And I'm using these devices and these are the images, you know, like Mm -hmm. my work. It was more so about telling the story that I was already written. So in the beginning, I was just like trying to write the story. I was interested in ghosting. Uh, because, you know, a lot of men had ghosted me at, at, at that point. You're like, not the paranormal activity <laughs> thing. Oh, Just yeah, like. No. <laughs> yeah, no. So in dating apps, when you start talking to people on, on dating apps, uh, they stop talking to you, and we refer to that as ghosting. You know, it's like a little ghost uh, mm-hmm. that just disappears. And that happened to me several times. And I actually... Early on, I remember posting on Facebook, like, hey, like, do you have, like, ghosting stories? I'm writing a play mm-hmm. about that. And people were commenting about, you know, like, their ghosting stories or whatever. Like, most of them were from Tinder. But then some people were commenting about how people had ghosted them, like, close people, like, friends and oh, family members. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. So ghosting is not entirely for you know people that are trying to date yeah. it can also apply to you know other relationships that we have in, in our lives and then I, I started to set the play in that context of you know like me being an immigrant and and moving away from from Mexico to live here in Canada and how I have been a, a, some sort of a ghost to other people yeah. so you know like that was the the preliminary work for the play and in the beginning I was just you know trying to tell this story of course, uh, when I when we did the workshop production at the St. John Short Play Festival, which is sort of like the equivalent to the French Festival in, in Newfoundland Labrador, uh, I felt really proud. I was like, oh, this is like mm. the best play that has ever <laughs> touched the stages of <laughs> Canada. A year later, when uh, the Resource Center for the Arts Theatre Company uh, came on board as producers of, of the, the professional production of the show, they supported the development because mm-hmm. um, we were wanting to, you know, to take it on tour to uh, high schools. So we wanted it to be, you know, obviously it was mm-hmm. 20 minutes then. So we were like looking for something that was at least like 40 minutes. So then I had a, a week of development with the director who was also the, the dramaturge, Megan Greeley, who's one of my closest friends. It was basically her and I uh, in a in a rehearsal room. And just like talking out uh, about, you know, what were the things that were working, what what things were not really working. I think that the first version of the script had a lot of holes, mm-hmm. um, some many, many loose ends. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in that week of development, I was able to tie them together. In the play, I talk about, you know, paranormal activities in my family. In the first version, there was another character in the play that had been... Uh, involved in with those paranormal activities but then when I remember this question that kept coming to me about like you know where is Eugenio Eugenio is the the, the main character in Altar where is Eugenio's mom mm-hmm. and I was like I don't I don't know 
I, I don't know where she is. And that's how, you know, I got her to appear in another meaningful way mm -hmm. that was more intentional. So then the, the writing became in intentional. And actually, like, my favorite part of the, of the play for me to perform is this monologue where Eugenio is talking about how he fell in love with, mm -hmm. with uh, his boyfriend. And that is my favorite thing. And, and it was because, again, a dramaturgical question that, that someone posed was, where is the love, you know, yeah. for Eugenio? Like, in the beginning, the play was, like, so rooted in anger and mm -hmm. frustration from Eugenio being heartbroken. But they were like, yeah, but we're craving to see, you know, like how why he fell in love and why does it hurt so much yeah. so you know i had to like paint that picture of like how special this relationship was and to this day that's my favorite thing to perform mm. so the, the the process has been really interesting and and even you know i have been rehearsing i think this past um time that i went into rehearsal was my fourth time rehearsing altar and there is always something new that I learn about the play and that I get to tighten a little bit more about the story about the characters and that's such a treat like you we usually do plays for a week a yeah. weekend you know maybe like if you're so lucky three weeks but this play has been running for you know like I have been doing it since 2019 and yeah. every time I do it I learn something new about it And I, after watching it, I feel when you are having a little bit of back and forth with the audience, that always changes it. Like how the audience reacts changes it every night. Well, let me tell you something. One of the things that I was like very nervous about was that like the audience, especially because so the play is unapologetically Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah. There are so many references about the community, the slang. And a thing that I was nervous of was how that slang was going to land, mm -hmm. especially with the Toronto audience. Um, opening night was a beautiful, beautiful performance. Like I was just, but I was nervous. I was mm -hmm. really, really. And, and the thing was that usually the audiences have been very vocal. Yeah. And of course, you know, for me, this play, because it's a one person show, my scene partner is the audience. Yes. So Imagine if you're doing a scene, you know, or a play with your scene partner who's not responding to what mm -hmm. you're giving them. Holy moly. I was like, uh, there was a point in the performance that I was like, I don't think they like this. I was like, I, I don't think they're, they're enjoying this. <laughs> And seriously, I was like, oh my God. Then at the end of the show where I was like, okay, well, I, well, I need to finish the play. Um, and when people, you know, like I had, uh, people were clapping and then I left the stage and then they kept clapping. I was, I was shocked. So when I came back to the stage, I was like, really? I thought that you didn't like this. And so that was opening night. Closing night, the audience was so loud so loud like they were like commenting like they were like saying things and that was so exciting to me because then that gave me room to play even more you know like yeah. I'm very playful in that play mm -hmm. but holy moly when the audience was like so into it I was like constantly checking in with them you know and, and asking the questions about like can I do this can I try this thing mm -hmm. and people would go like yes or you know like they would just like nod euphorically so that is such an interesting thing that the show The thing that I love about theater that is very different from film is that is that the, 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 that play lives in that moment yeah. and you will never see it again. And that's the thing that I love about this play in particular, that I never know how the play is going to go. So we know that Altar, we think is a little bit or a lot based on your personal experience. Ah! We don't know. <laughs> uh, 
How do you find the balance between real life experience and creating an, an engaging narrative? First of all, I want to say that I am so talented and all of this was fiction. <laughs> this never happened. I have never been ghosted in my life. I've been married uh, for 30 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have uh, one husband and four kids, three yeah. dogs, one pigeon. <laughs> so it's funny because in 2019, when I wrote this play, I was curious about this ghosting idea. Mm -hmm. um, And I had a partner at the time. And then this person, as soon as I, I was like, okay, the end, you know, and I closed my notebook, I realized that my boyfriend had ghosted me. I was like, mm. oh my God. And I was like, did I just write my play, like my life into a play without even knowing? Of course, you know, like when I actually, I was in the UK, he started ghosting me when I was abroad. And then when I came back to Canada, he was gone, completely gone. And the worst part of it all was that we were living in the same community. And sometimes, like, you know, like, he would drive past me. Of course, you know, like, that experience really helped me understand a lot about the stakes, you know, and mm -hmm. the hurt of the character. In the beginning, I was very specific. There is, I talk a lot about this car, this car in the play. And in the beginning, I actually did write that because of you know like my boyfriend who had ghosted me but then slowly I had to understand that what I was writing was ultimately fiction yeah and that I had to take care of myself as a writer yes so because there is one thing and there is this fine line where you put yourself on stage but then there are some boundaries right mm -hmm. and I do that to protect myself so what I have done is that I create like some distance so you know like When I talk about that, ca that car, I've changed the color of the car. And that is such a simple thing to do, but like that really helped me because then it was not him. It was another guy, right? Mm -hmm. And then changing the name of the character, like in the beginning, I think I probably started with Santiago, right? Mm -hmm. And then now uh, the, the name of the character is Eugenio. Um, and, and that sort of thing that, that I, I think I have done in, in which I created this world in that it, it's it's becoming fiction now I do have to say that I feel like as a writer my process like I really have to write things that matter to me yes if they're not interesting to me I'm not gonna write the, that play I'm not gonna do it one of my mentors Beatriz Pisano oh. if anybody knows who she is she's amazing <laughs> she used to say when we were developing a show she would be like let's do this and I would be like but that's not true and she's like but that's true for the show It doesn't need to be true for your life. Exactly. Well, that's you're writing another truth, mm -hmm. right? And and that's the thing that I find really exciting where I can find or I can see myself in the piece that is also not me. You yeah. know, that when you start creating those those distances between you and the character and the world. And I love, like, my favorite part is when people actually think that that happened to me. Or, mm -hmm. that, you know, when they, they talk to me about my dad and my relationship with my dad. And they're like, oh, how are things with your dad? I'm like, oh, best kind. Write the things that you know, sure. But at the same time, you will get to a place where you need to protect yourself and yeah. your heart. And that is a way that to do it or that I have managed to do it. Does it feel different for you when you're telling this story to people slash audiences who share similar experience and identities than Eugenio? Like, is it different? You Can you figure out when you're like, there's queer people in the audience? There's immigrants in the audience? Oh, great question. When I began writing this play, I talked to Carmen Aguirre. We talked about audiences, right? And we talked about what does it mean as a writer to, to write a play? Because uh, again, like we write these things 
because we will have someone else mm -hmm. see them, witness them, right? So that's why it is important to take care of them and yeah. to think about them as you're writing this play. One thing that I that I do know, especially because it's mostly, or it has so far, it has only been me performing this play, that I can, you know, like there are some moments in the play where I'm like, oh, there's Latinx people here. You know, mm -hmm. especially when when I make jokes in Spanish that land, mm -hmm. I'm like, aha. Or, you know, I, I can also see I make a joke about, you know, like um, Christmas in July and that being like a white tradition. Mm -hmm. And and again, you know, like when I hear I hear like a roar from the audience, I'm like, okay, well, there are some people that I find that funny. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. The play is very specific. It's about a queer, young Mexican immigrant living in Newfoundland and Labrador. Like how, how, <laughs> you know, what else do you have? Like, it's so specific. But I think that the play covers so many things that are like general values, you know, like mm -hmm. we talk about family, we talk about- Heartbreak, heartbreak is so universal. Exactly, yeah. well, heartbreak, friendship, mm -hmm. uh, this, this desire of, you know, to be loved and mm -hmm. to love. And I think that regardless of your background, people can relate to those things, mm -hmm. you know? Sure, you can relate to some more than others, but I feel like people, regardless of, you know, where you come from, you you gravitate towards those, you know, grief, heartbreak, mm -hmm. love, joy, uh, sense of family, friendship, you know, all of those those things. Uh, again, it's it's interesting, and, and this um, last tour that, you know, is coming from, from an East Coast uh, audience in Halifax mm -hmm. that I think that it was like very similar culturally speaking, and I said that in quotation marks, between Newfoundland, Labrador and Nova Scotia, that there was like a very easy transition for me to go from like Newfoundland to Nova Scotia. But for Nova Scotia to Ontario, I was like, oh, wow, like that's that was different. <laughs> that was very different. Um, but I think that, Uh, audiences responded equally, very differently, you know, in the way that they expressed that. But I, f I feel like the audiences enjoyed the journey, the ride. So you just mentioned that you applied for Caminos, didn't get in, but you just presented at the Rutas Festival, yeah. which is like prime time, you know? <laughs> and with a line of international and like Canadian artists. So do you have any advice for new playwrights who might think that rejection is the end of the project? Because clearly it's not. No, not at all. I mean, I think that that's the thing. I feel like, okay, well, and we know this, and this is not a secret, but like artists get rejected like yes. 80% of the time. We get ghosted by many grants, many auditions. <laughs> Multiple auditioners. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, of course. So uh, being an artist is absolutely difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, especially because of that, because of rejection. Oh my God, like it's rare that you get a yes. Again, mi madre would say, there, pasa, las cosas pasan por y para algo. Things happen for and because there's a reason. So hold on to that. Sometimes you will not know in that moment and, and be like, oh, this happened because of this. But you know, like this closed door opened another mm -hmm. and suddenly that door that opened opened the same door that I was trying to knock on the first time, right? What I would say to people is to keep trying, you know, and if, if one door closed, go find the next one. And the thing is like, we as artists, we understand that, you yeah. know? 
and and we can support each other like we do that all the time you know like okay maybe next time how you know talk to someone else before submitting your application mm -hmm. to see if someone else can give you some more advice on how to strengthen your application but i feel and and i actually learned that in high school in my math class i remember mm. i wanted to be perfect i wanted to always get a hundreds you know ace And I remember that my teacher, my math teacher, would look at me and say, but why? Why do you want that? And I was like, well, because I want to get 100 in this test. And she was like, but if you don't fail, how are you going to learn? And and that really like helped me understand that failure was a process of learning and growth. Wow, math class. Wow. Math class. I yeah. mean, of course, I have not touched numbers since then uh, in high school. <laughs> so don't ask me about equations now. <laughs> Uh, or fractions, but you know, like it was so interesting, and 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 that is something that I wish I had learned, or that I had had clearer when I was in university, when I was yeah. in theater school, because same thing, and and I mean that's a problem in institutions, and I'm not gonna go there, but <laughs> the way that that we are taught in those systems yeah. where you have to worry about a grade, a number, but if you're worried about the learning. If you're really worried about what are you getting from this experience, mm -hmm. I think that it changes entirely everything. Again, the institution is a problem, but that's the thing that I am trying to, or that I am more interested, as well as an educator for me, to move away from product-oriented practices where we are focusing in learning. Yeah. Sure, we are lear learning through product, mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's the goal. The goal is not to write perfection. It's process. It's All process. the pro process is what matters. It's process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any like comfort thing you do if you get a rejection? Like, is, do you have something that you're like, I need to do this, or I feel you just go through it, Santiago? I do go through <laughs> yeah. it. I do write a couple of letters on orange paper, and then I just crumple <laughs> them and. Uh, and no, a little altar for, just a little for, that. for that grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, okay, I'm I'm spilling some tea that maybe I shouldn't, but I'm gonna. Anyway, <laughs> um, because this is between us, friends. Yes. <laughs> Lucia said editing, so anything. Great. No, no, no. I mean, I don't care. But the day that I was opening that, like, my national tour of Altar, mm -hmm. I got the rejection of the play being published. And, and it was, like, so difficult mm -hmm. because I was, like, literally hours away from going into yeah. opening my tour national tour <laughs> mm -hmm. that the play got rejected for from being published you know one publisher yeah at first i was like oh it's because i'm not good or mm -hmm. because the play is not you good. go through all of the but then i was like but if the play was not worth it it wouldn't be presented you yeah know? it wouldn't be like i wouldn't have the interest from from these presenters outside of my own community Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, okay. But it was such an interesting polarity that I was like l literally in the middle where one, you know, I was like doing really well with the tour, very excited about it. People were commenting about it. And then on the other end, I had been just rejected. Yeah. So I, I really sat in that moment and I was like, whew, okay. 
Okay. And then, you know, what did I do? I was like, okay, so how am I going to make this happen? And I started looking for other publishers. I know. I knew. I know you. I was like, I know you. Well, I mean, I, the thing is like, I I won't stop. But I, I really admire that about you. And I always think sometimes when I'm, I'm in like a low space, because I'm a person who's like, nothing matters. And then I don't care. And then it takes me a couple of days. And then I'll do it. But I always think sometimes of you being like, Santiago right now is like, sir. 500 grants applying to a thousand million things like the way you go get things is I think it's really inspiring for an artist so I wrote Altar really because I was so tired that the only characters that I was playing mm -hmm. were background or stereotypes yeah and I wrote this play because I said people are not giving me a chance mm -hmm. like people don't know they won't let me show them what I can do so that's why that is a one-person show yeah because I said I am go going to write the best things that I can do you know and and I'm gonna show you that I am funny and that I can be very melodramatic <laughs> right so that I have range Yeah. In one, you know, in 20 minutes when I began writing this thing, I'm going to show you in 20 minutes that I have range and that I can do this. And and I feel like this play and I have I have always said this, that I have embraced playwriting as an act of rebellion. Mm. To me, that was the only way that I could show people what I was actually capable of doing. Yeah. And, but I was not willing to wait for someone to see me or to give me a yes. I was like, oh, no, honey. I'm just going to do it. I won't take no for an answer. In, in the most, you know, positive and, and you know, like dedicated way. Mm -hmm. But I think that that is very important. I feel like that has given me that hunger and that desire of like figuring it out has led me to where I am today. If I had been discouraged by the rejection of uh, Caminos in 2019, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. So I am very proud and very happy and and you know I always say is if Santiago did it you can do it too what is the most rewarding thing for you when you share Altar obviously and again I think that I've said this about the play that my scene partner is the audience mm -hmm. so when I am on stage and I hear people react to it in the moment there was one time uh, that I actually kind of like added that into the play Because I, I, the way that I delivered a line where I like made it sound as though uh, Eugenio's dad was having an affair. Mm -hmm. And it was because an audience member went into, oh no. <laughs> and, and I remember hearing that from the audience and thinking, mm -hmm, interesting. And so those are the moments where, where I find the most joy because I feel like Number one, I feel like people are actually listening to the story, yeah. right? Uh, when people laugh, when people, like, sometimes I, I hear a, a couple of, like, <laughs> during during the, the Friends, uh, yeah, yeah. Diana scene. And that's when I'm like, oh, yes, things are landing. <laughs> But there is something really special and which I really appreciate of people after the show like, wait for me at the lobby yeah. or, you know, like, send me messages to say, I loved your play and this is why. And one of one of the most beautiful things that have happened to me, which is fascinating, is that this person's uncle was dating my mom okay. in Mexico years ago. So we were kind of related, mm -hmm. right? But we actually never spent a lot of time together. But he was one of the first queer people in my life mm. in Mexico before I was like, 
you know, the homosexual that I am today. He was really the only person like close to me that mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's what a gay person is in Mexico. And we didn't, I mean, we were both teenagers, you know, like we were not like buddies or anything, but I would see him. He was uh, older than me, but I would see him and just like look up to him and he didn't really know it, but he knew and he knew the Santiago from Mexico, you know, the Santiago that was like doing plays all the time you know, like finding rights to go to rehearsal, uh, missing family events because, you know, he was performing or he was in yeah. events. So he actually happened to be in Halifax. He now lives in Halifax. And then uh, we were chatting. He messaged me and, and he said, uh, hey, are you in Halifax? And I was like, yeah, I'm performing tonight. I was like, you should come see the show. And he was like, okay, sure, I'll come. So he came to see the show, and I remember, like, I remember being on stage, kneeling on, on, on that stage, beautiful stage, and looking at him and thinking, I wonder what Pedro is thinking. Hmm. Can he, like, can he tell that I, you know, like, I am the same, yet a different person today? And, and I was just wondering about what was his experience of like seeing this, you know, teenager who was like so hungry for doing theater. And because, of course, in Mexico, theater is really not like a job. It's more mm -hmm. so like a hobby. And people didn't believe in me. You know, in Mexico, they're like, oh, how are you going to live? How are you going to pay your rent? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But now to, you know, for, for someone like him to see me actually, you know, on tour, uh, performing a play that I had written, I was wondering, and then at the end we had a drink, and and he said to me like, "Yeah, for sure that 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 part of, I, you know, like I'm very proud of you." He said that to me. Mm. I'm very proud of you, uh, to see what you have become. But the thing was that he also told me he was like, "What you just gave, that's also me. That's also my story." And that was just like a moment where when my work is validated, right? Yeah. When people say. That's me. And and I have been so lucky that the play is resonating with people in so many, many ways. In many instances where people say, this is the first time that I saw a Mexican character, a yeah. Mexican gay character on stage, you know, in Canada. And that is very exciting and gratifying. So I feel like that's when, when I'm like, hmm, good job. Excellent. And speaking of immigration, um, as immigrants, we build our own chosen family. Mm -hmm. And in your theater experience, how have you built your theater chosen family? I believe in 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 those moments of like collaboration. Mm -hmm. Well, theater is about community for me anyway. Theater is about, you know, like we get together in, in a room and we figure it out. And then <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, it's like a family. Sometimes you argue, but you're still together there for like two more weeks. So yeah. you need to figure that out. Either, you know, you're not going to talk to each other for the rest of the engagement or, you know, in order to keep things moving along or you figure it out. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to like theater, I also what I love is that people have believed in me. Yeah. And I wouldn't be where I am if people had not believed in me. And even even when I was not the most capable mm -hmm. to execute a thing, I directed my first professional play in 2019, right after I, I finished my, my BFA. Did I know what I was doing? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And yet this person, Ruth Lawrence, who was the, produ the producer and the artistic director of a, of a theater company in Newfoundland, White Rooster Theater, she said, you're going to direct this play. And I said to her, I don't, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> she was like, yep, yeah, you will figure it out. And, you know, I got paid while I was trying to figure it out. 
And I really think about that model in terms of collabor collaborating, but also in giving artists the opportunity to fail. Yeah. Uh, giving the artist the opportunity to try things and to learn from that journey. So I work with a lot of people. I work with, um, I don't really have like one person that mm -hmm. I collaborate with every single time. And it's because of that, because I like to share the the goods. I like to get to, you know, mm -hmm. work and collaborate with others. But it, it is definitely, you know, like I, I work with people that bring the best in me and that yes. I know that I can bring the best in them. And, and in, in, you know, in, in, in challenging ways and, and those ways that are exciting. Of course, you know, I certainly gravitate towards people, mm -hmm. you know, that I do work well with, that I get along with. But yeah, I think that it's, I, I don't have like um, a, a go-to person, mm -hmm. but I do have a go-to people. I know because I am a big fan of you, uh, that you have other projects going on. Most of them are connected to your identities, like being Mexican, being an immigrant, being queer. So why is it important for you to keep telling the stories? And also, what's next? Well, it is important to me because they never existed for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, of course, I right now I'm writing stories that are very close to my heart and that are very, you know, like, that's why people think that these are autobiographical pieces and it's <laughs> not true you know like I do happen to be queer and I do happen to be Mexican and I do happen to live in Newfoundland but it, it is not me it's not about yeah. you know I believe that specificity brings universality and that's why I, I you know like I really ground my place in something very very specific but again my hope is that people can see in that specificity the universality and that they can resonate to those mm -hmm. of course i write things that i that i know best yeah. you know being mexican being queer and being a newfoundland labrador with those intersecting identities it doesn't mean that those are the only things that i write you know sure i could write a play where you know and i say that in quotation marks where, where race is not important mm -hmm. where location is not important where this but then you're missing the flavor yeah. of you know like you're missing really the specificity, the thing that will get people to be, you know, connected with. That's why I really like to be specific about my work. And those are the stories that are not happening in the mainstream yeah. in my community. Mm -hmm. So it is important to me to introduce my audiences in, in my community to notions that perhaps for them are not common and just sort of like contribute to the diversity of the understanding of our province, but mm -hmm. also our theater industry. It was never my intention to be a playwright, you know? Like I just wrote because I wanted to act. Now I am a playwright, like now I'm a playwright for hire, which mm -hmm. is great. But but anyway, so, so these plays I'm working on, I would say I'm gonna say three. One is, uh, right now it's, it's titled Newfoundlanded. Mm -hmm. And it's a verbatim theater piece about immigrants and refugees across Newfoundland and Labrador. And I wanted to write, so actually, I began with the idea of this play around the same time that I was writing Altar. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I wanted it to be verbatim theater, it was because I felt that for me, I didn't have the lived experience or the knowledge to write a play about all immigrants and yeah. all refugees in such a wide community. And even with Verbatim Theater, I don't think that we can be, you know, like so specific or so... 
accurate. Mm-hmm. Like it, it won't be a, an accurate depiction of like every single individual in Newfoundland. Yeah. You know, it's a sample. But I felt like that was a way to do it, um, to approach that research work of getting to document these stories that have never heard before, you know, because we see that a lot. We have seen that a lot of people that do not have these experiences and do not do the proper consultation Mm. to tell (laughs) stories about us. And then all of a sudden they say, what do you mean Mexicans don't eat tacos every day? You know, you're like, oh, honey. Strangely enough, I do eat tortillas every day. (laughs) too. But, but it's I, not accurate. It's not accurate. <laughs> if you're listening to this, it's not accurate. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's those, like the nuance in, mm. in, in what we are, you know, the vastness of who we are. We interviewed over 30 people across Newfoundland and Labrador about their experiences. And then I got together with two other playwrights, uh, Vanessa Cardoso Whalen and uh, Nabila Qureshi. And between the three of us, we're writing this play. It has been a journey because it's such a big, humongous play. Yeah. So we're still figuring it out, but this is what we're doing. We are having a workshop production uh, produced by Todos Productions, my theater company in Newfoundland. That is happening in November in a couple of weeks, so I really need to finish my draft. <laughs> and I am working on another play. Right now it's called Juan Juana Juanita, and it's about a uh, an immigrant in Newfoundland Labrador who does drag. And uh, his mother rejects him and his drag uh, when, you know, this immigrant is actually inspired by his mother who used to be a singer and uh, was not allowed because of her husband. Part of the reason why I'm still in Tacoronto for the next two weeks is to finish those two drafts (laughs) that I need to complete. And the last play that I am, like, uh, working on, like, for the rest of this year, right now it's tentatively... no. No, it is called Stop. I have decided it <laughs> just then. An exclusive for you, uh, Radio Luna. Stop. <laughs> it's called Stop, and it's about the, the game of Stop. Oh, my God, yes. I was like, I, I think I've told you before. But um, Monica was a part of the of the workshop development for this play. That's why I brought you the candies, the pica fresas. Oh, my God. I was like, well, I thought that you, you brought them because you knew that I loved them. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, yeah, so so this, ga- this play is about <laughs> these uh kids one of them who is from mexico and moves to atlantic canada and does not speak english it's a tya and then you know he meets two other canadian kids and they're trying to communicate but of course there is a huge language barrier so they you know the mexican kid shares a piece of mexican candy which happened to be spicy because well yeah we eat spicy mexican candies and these candies bring some magic to the play where the Canadian kids uh, do things like speaking Spanish. I'm putting that to rest for a bit because I need to take care of another two. So anyway, <laughs> that's that's what's up. <laughs> so we're going to be back in the podcast for every show. Excellent. Every show you'll be back. Here I am. I You know where to find me. <laughs> so we're coming to an end. So we have a couple of questions left. So Rutas was born out of the desire to bring arts from across the Americas to Toronto to encounter new perspectives, voices, and ideas, and to engage in conversations about art and human rights. What conversations or engagement do you hope Altar brought to our audiences? I just hope that people see that, that you know, like immigrants are also in rural places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's a thing that I, I really wanted to contribute. And, and when I engage in, in national discourse, I am very interested in, in letting people outside of our community 
to see that Newfoundland is not white. You know, it's not only about the white fishermen. There is diversity and diverse communities in Newfoundland that are part of Newfoundland. So I, I guess like what I wanted to do was to share that and to say, this is what another side of Canada also looks like. That yeah. is not the stereotype. Every episode, we ask our current guest to pose a question to the next guest so we can keep the conversation going across practices and across borders. Your question comes from Swat from Teatro Linea de Sombra, and it's this. What do you do when you're not working? Which is really hard for Santi because Santi <laughs> loves to work. <laughs> I am always working. Uh, uh, yeah, right after this, I'm going to go to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm working are. right now and then I'm going to work. And then later I'm going to work. And then I'm going to work. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I sleep, but uh, mostly I work. And in my dreams, I work. <laughs> oh, I do. Sometimes I answer emails in my dreams. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> It is wild. And then I assume that I have responded. And then I don't. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Anyway, uh, so what do I do when I, you know, like, I do like to work out. And that is just giving me a time. Like, it forces me to connect with my body. Mm -hmm. And it's not an intense workout or anything. It's just, like, a little moment in my day, like an hour or so, for me to just say, like, oh, this is my body. This is Because this is my instrument. And, yeah. you know, um, helps me wake up and helps me also, like, It forces me to move away from my cell phone, from my computer, and then it stops me from answering emails. Though I am very famous uh, for answering emails while I'm at the gym. So uh, I try my very best. But yeah, working out is a thing that I, that I do when I am not working. And the question that I have for the next uh, guest yeah. uh, would be, how have you failed in your artistic process that has taught you something. And we did it! Our only live interview of the season. Literally, yeah, Santiago was only for you because we love you. Big fans. Oh. So thank you so much for being here with us live. I love you both. Thank you. Yay! We're speaking from Takoronto. This is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Nashinabe, the Wendat, and Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the digital One Spoon Wampum and Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase. At Aluna, we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial. Radio Luna Teatro is supported by Aluna Theatre with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Monica Garrido and Lucia Linares. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca, follow at Aluna Theatre on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook.